This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. This is Jerry Agar for John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for Wednesday, November 30th. Special weather statement, in effect, from the City of Toronto. Strong winds today into the night, as much as 70 to 80 kilometers per hour, and the strongest winds expected near the eastern shores of the Great Lakes. Periods of rain will end near noon and then cloudy. Risk of a thunderstorm early uh, this morning and those winds gusting up around 70 around noon with a high of 11 tomorrow. A mix of sun and cloud, 30% chance of flurries in the morning. High of plus 3 in the wind chill, minus 8 in the morning. The five things you need to know. Ford to appeal after the court strikes down a provincial bill limiting public sector wages. Opposition parties call for investigations into the PC's ties to developers. GATA gas prices hit the lowest level since last January, but going back up tomorrow. Osgood Hall trees get a temporary reprieve from the chainsaws, and winter forecast predictions for Ontario are out colder and snowier. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, I'm Jerry Agar in for John Moore today. It's a temporary thing. Don't get panicked. Uh, just in for John Moore this morning. We'll see about tomorrow. He's having he's having a bit of a voice issue. Isn't that the deal? Yeah. Um, that doesn't work very well in this profession. I was going to say you kind of need that because the closed captioning yeah. for radio hasn't really caught on yet. <laughs> no, that's, that's right. If you'd watch your radio a little closer, you'd see that we have the captioning going. But a lot of people just refuse to pay attention to that. So... We bring in a different host instead. Going to be windy. It's been raining throughout the course of the night. It was raining pretty hard as I was in some places. It was kind of funny because it was just drizzling around my house. And then when I got out on the 427, I got into some rain. And then it was kind of off and on all the way. And then Nick walked in here a little later and said, it's really raining out there. Um, So expect to encounter that. Big story today, and we're going to get some expertise on this throughout the course of the morning, is that the Ontario government intends to appeal a court decision that struck down a controversial bill, as it is written up from CTV News, that limited wages for public sector workers. A spokesperson for the Attorney General told CP24, we're reviewing the decision. Our intention is to appeal. Now, the unions, of course, are excited about it. I'm, I'm not clear on what the issue is here. I mean, we're going to get legal expertise later, um, and maybe you have some of the same questions I do. I didn't think you had a constitutional right to a raise. I guess what they're saying is you have a constitutional right to bargain. Well, okay, but the government has a constitutional right to say no. <laughs> we're not giving you that. Um, you know, the union starts out with one thing. The, um, the government, as the employer, starts with another thing. And it goes back and forth, but the union can take, or the government, if they want, can take a hard line. They can say, we're sticking with the number that we had in that bill, Bill 124. We're, that's our number. No, 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 it's a, we, we, we don't have that bill in place anymore if they lose, if they appeal and lose going forward. But that's our number. I think they have a constitutional right to that. So we'll continue to investigate it. We have several lawyers who will be coming on throughout uh, the course of the morning to talk about that. Here, uh, a story that Robert Benzie is reporting, and he'll be with us uh, it's after 8 o'clock this morning, that Robert Benzie is going to be with us. But the province, the provincial auditor, sent three mystery shoppers into casinos to launder money. 
and they were caught. Now, somewhere in the story, and I'm going to tweak Robert. I like Robert Benzie, but I'm going to tweak him a little bit because the story says it was a bust. It wasn't a bust. They got caught. Aren't they supposed to get caught? Isn't that the plan? He meant busted. Well, yeah, okay. It's like when they send in the miners to the LCBO or or any place that sells age-related products. Um, they're supposed to get caught. I mean, if they get caught, then the system's working. Okay? Uh, that's the way I look at that. But the idea was that they were going in, they'd buy a bunch of chips, then maybe they'd pull a handle a couple of times or... Um, play a game, uh, but not very much, and then they go back and change all the chips in. Well, of course, you don't get the same cash back that you brought with you. Money laundering. Apparently, it's not illegal to do that at the casino. Money laundering is illegal. I guess technically, if you went in and you bought even $10,000 worth of chips and you intended to gamble, but all of a sudden you got a by the way, I've never bought ten thousand dollars worth of chips. Just so you know, <laughs> it's just I, it boggles my mind. To, to maybe potato chips. I, you know what? Yes, I, over the course of my life, I'm sure I have. But but Nick, the reason that I mentioned ten thousand dollars was because if you buy more than ten thousand dollars worth of chips, they report it to the government. Okay, so if you come in and you buy nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars worth of chips. And then what if you only played the slots? You pulled the handle twice, as I said, and all of a sudden you got a text message. So-and-so is about to go into the hospital. Grandma is going to the hospital. You go, oh, my gosh. And you'll, you're going to run back and cash in all your chips, and, and you're going to go do what you got to do. I could see that happening, and I'm sure that's why it's not illegal. I mean, you don't have to gamble. It's not, there's no law. It says you have to gamble. You can change your mind. Um, but in this case, they're supposed to be watching for people who might be laundering money, and they caught them. I'll tell you a story. I know a guy who did this. So I knew this guy, and um, I didn't find out until after the fact. But what he had done is he robbed the bank. It started with him getting fired by the bank, and he was ticked. And so (laughs) he decided he was going to rob the bank, and he got something like $140,000 in cash. And then he told some friends, hey, I got fired. I'm not working. You're, you're not busy. Let's go on a boys' trip. Three guys, they drove from Milwaukee to Vegas. And they, they just, the other two were just having a lark. They aren't even big gamblers. They found out later that what uh, Tim was doing was waiting for everybody to fall asleep. And then he would take a whole bunch of money out of his duffel bag full of cash. And he'd go to the casino and he'd go in one door of those huge casinos and buy the chips and then essentially just go out the other side of the casino, cashing the chips in. And he just kept doing that so that eventually his duffel bag was full of money that didn't come from the bank. So here's the other funny thing that happened when they were on the way home. It was the middle of the night. Two of the guys were sleeping. Tim was driving. Tim was speeding. What an idiot. And he gets, so he gets pulled over. And the cop says, Maybe I should take a look in the, in the trunk. This is where the duffel bag full of cash was, in the trunk. And my other friend woke up and said, what's going on? And the cop says, I think I should look in the trunk. And my friend, not knowing that this money was back there, said, we're three guys on our way home from Vegas, officer. If you want to dig through our dirty underwear, go for it. And the cop said, no, I don't think so. And they left. This did not work out in the end for Tim. This isn't something I know and Tim got away with. He spent seven years in prison. And he belonged there. 
Lots of dirty underwear there. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning. I'm Jerry Yegar in for John Moore today. Bob Reed's going to be in for me from 9 to noon today. Adjust your dance cards accordingly. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, John's having a bit of a voice problem. That's all. He's fine. Um, he's just having a bit of a voice problem, and uh, so I'm filling in. I saw a headline this morning. The universe is bigger than you think. I think the universe is bigger than we can think. I mean, I learned from space traveler Buzz Lightyear that the universe goes to infinity and beyond. So I just, I can't wrap my head around it. Um, it's an interesting headline. The universe is bigger than you think. I, I, I didn't think I knew how big it was. How big do you think it is, Nick? Got any idea? Put a number on it. How do you measure it in pounds and space and time or <laughs> all of that? I guess. Yeah. How much does the universe weigh? That's pretty interesting. Joe, how big's the universe? Any idea? I have a real problem trying to figure out. Like I can think linearly. I know here's Earth and you know, there's Mercury, that kind of thing. Yeah. But that's in a linear sense. There's also the up and down because of the vastness of space. The three dimensional. And yeah, aspect. and I can't figure that out. I can't get my no. mind around it. No. How um, how many square meters is uh, is our our solar system? Never mind right. the universe. It's bigger than you think. We can't we can't think that way. Maybe there's a couple of Einsteins around who really can, but that's pretty much it. So the CRA is clawing back three point two billion dollars from eight hundred and twenty five thousand suspect COVID nineteen aid applications. And they say that's just the start. The subheadline, this is from the National Post. Officials say the agency has already discovered about 25,000 cases of fraudulent payments tied to identity theft and to quote the CRA, a scale we haven't seen in the past. Well, that's not surprising because there was a handout of money in uh, a timeline and a scale we haven't seen in the past. Some people worry that the upcoming dental benefit is going to be the same kind of boondoggle. And I recall right from day one when they announced the CERB program discussing on the radio the fact that there were going to be, once we got through it and looked back, a number of mistakes made and fraud perpetrated because they were getting the money out as quickly as they could. And I think to a degree they had to. Wouldn't you agree with that? People were being thrown out of business. People were being thrown out of work through mandates, et cetera, and something had to be done to help them out. It wasn't a welfare situation. The, the government tells you you can't work, then the government is responsible for trying to help you out. But they made some mistakes that I think even in hindsight, is, the hindsight is always twenty twenty. But one of the things they did is you could apply for CERB through the CRA or you could apply through Service Canada. And apparently they didn't take an extra 15 minutes before rolling the thing out to have those two systems tie together such that if you went on or if I went on the CRA site and applied for CERB, that my name and social insurance number wouldn't pop up as already served if I went on the Service Canada site and tried to do it again. Apparently, you could double up, and a lot of people figured that out, and they did it, and they double-dipped. And uh, now the CRA has to figure that out. Now, 
I don't know how you're going to look at this. I'm going to test it out with people on the panels throughout the course of the morning. But I think that the CRA should be aggressive in going after people who just out and out perpetrated fraud. If you went on both of those sites and double dipped, I think you had to know that that's what you were doing, that you were trying to get two payments. There was no information out there at all that $4,000 a month was available. Just go to both sites and claim it. Um, People had to know they were double dipping and they're going to have to pay that money back. But I think there are also people who now are being dinged by the government. I've heard from people, and we hear their side of the story, of course, but I've heard from people who got the payment and now they're being told they shouldn't have. And the government wants the money back. And I think in part, they thought they qualified for the money. And I don't think it's their fault. And now the government, through, I was going to use the word incompetence, but I realized they put this thing out in a hurry to try to help people. But just through the sloppiness of the thing, um, I think the government has to accept that there would be some problems. And if somebody lost their job, legitimately needed help, and got a couple of thousand dollars that once you started crossing a lot of T's and dotting a lot of I's, the government could say, we want that money back. Maybe they should just leave people alone. Because it's also going to cost a lot of money to get the money back. So start from the the worst and take those people on. But we'll talk more about that with uh, panelists throughout the course of the morning. I'm going to respond here. A text message asks me, how did Tim get caught? And if you just joined us, I was telling a story about this guy that I knew. Uh, He was a friend of a friend, but, you know, I considered him a friend. I was out to lunch with him a number of times and such. And he stole $140,000 from a bank. And he eventually went to prison, which is where he belonged. Um, I'm not defending my friend in any way in that regard. Here's how he got caught. He got caught like a lot of criminals. He's stupid. Uh, He did something stupid. What he didn't do is go get himself another job. He'd been fired from the bank, and that's what started the whole process in his mind of robbing the bank. And uh, instead of going out and finding a job and having a duffel bag of $140,000 in the basement and slowly incorporating that into a bank account and living a little bit better lifestyle than someone could on whatever job he had, he just didn't work. He had no visible means of support. But then he did some other things, like he managed to buy an income property. And when when the FBI starts looking for who robbed the bank, I think that's an FBI thing, the first thing they're going to do is look at fired employees as a possible. Well, he's on that list. It's not a really large list. So then they start looking at those individuals and quickly up pops Tim's. Tim, what's he doing for a living? Nothing. He seems to be living pretty well. Let's spend a couple of minutes looking into Tim. Why don't we? And eventually they caught him. My friend, who's the better friend of Tim, had to wear a wire because the FBI suspected him of being an accomplice. Think about that. You have to wear a wire to help turn in your friend. You know what? I'll tell you another part about that story, too. I'm serializing this thing, it turns out now, uh, coming up uh, on News Talk 1010. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius.
I'm Jerry Agar in for John Moore. Apparently, I erred a little earlier um, when I was talking about the size of the universe. I saw a headline. If you just joined us, I saw a headline that said, the universe is bigger than you think. And the independent research here conducted by the three of us <laughs> is that we have no idea. It, it, it must be bigger than we think because we can't think how big it is. It's just a, a astounding. And I, I said something about, apparently I said measuring it in square meters. Did I say that? Well, somebody wrote in, you know, it would be cube meters, not square meters. The universe is 3D and not 2D. Well, I don't know. Could all be just an imagination. We don't, we don't know. What's going on in the universe? But I think that's probably true. 2D or not 2D. Yes. Okay. But you said, Nick, that you know how to weigh a planet. Well, according to research that we do on total uses information, and you'd be surprised how much research we do on okay. total uses information, Yeah. planets can be weighed. Now, you don't put them on a scale like you'd stand on a scale. Yeah. Now, when you stand on a scale, Jerry, after the shock, you say, well, how do we, how do we know how much you weigh? It's, it's basically measuring how hard the Earth's gravity is pulling on you. Yeah. So using that same concept, planets are measured by its gravitational pull. So the heavier the planet, the heavier the pull. So using that same formula, if you were to weigh 100 pounds here on Earth, you only weigh 38 pounds on Mercury. Right. So you might want to visit Mercury. Well, like, yes, that's a way to, to solve it. Uh, just Or somebody should sell a Mercury thermometer. Maybe. Uh, not thermometer, I mean. A, uh, a scale. Scale, yeah. But if you go to a heavier planet like Jupiter, that 100 pounds will, well, you weigh 253 pounds on Jupiter. So don't go to Jupiter. Hard to walk around. It is. On the moon, you weigh less. Yes. That's why they're Same bouncy. They, the astronauts seemed bouncy. When they were on the moon. It all has to do with the gravitational pull. Yes. All right. So uh, I promised to do installment three. Joe said this story is getting weirder the more you tell. Um, I got into a story about a guy I knew, Tim, who I uh, haven't had any contact with him since all of this fell apart. But he was a guy who stole $140,000 from a bank that had fired him. And then eventually... Uh, he was caught, and the FBI twigged on to him because he was on a list of suspects, having been a, a former employee of the bank. And then they realized he had no visible means of um, support. He had no job, and yet he seemed to have a pretty good lifestyle and have money. So they started looking into it, and here's, here's how they caught him. First of all, they decided that a friend of mine, was a Confederate in this thing, and they came to visit him, and they interviewed him, they being the FBI. Imagine that. The FBI shows up at your door, and they think you robbed a bank. He did not. Well, then the FBI said, well, you can help us out and get yourself out of this. So they, they used some pressure on my friend that I don't think was entirely fair. Um, and this friend, Doby is his name, um, He's the better friend. I knew Tim through him. Um, Do the, the FBI wanted him to wear wire, and Dobie was visiting me. We were living in Tucson, Arizona, and I'll never forget this scene. We were driving from where I worked home up toward the mountain in uh, Tucson, and Dobie says to me, Tim is the guy who at two in the morning, if I was stuck in the snow, I could phone and he would get out of bed and come and help me. And that's the guy the police want, or the FBI wants to uh, have me help convict. And uh, I said, well, you're also in danger of spending time in prison. 
How many times does somebody have to get up in the middle of the night and help pull you out of the snow to make up for 10 years in prison? Because Tim would not acknowledge that he did it. And he also wouldn't get my friend out of it. He could have simply said to the FBI, okay, you got me. And my friend had nothing to do with it. He wouldn't do that. And I said, how many times do you have to get pulled out of the snow in the middle of the night to make up for 10 years in prison? And I remember his head snapped around and looking out the window. He just stared out the window for a long time. And finally he turned and said, not enough times. Hardest thing I'm sure he ever did in his life. And he flew to Milwaukee. FBI flew him to Milwaukee where this all took place. And they put a wire on him. And they sat and had breakfast at a restaurant. And he knew, oh, those two guys over at table six are FBI agents. And that van out there is taping everything that we're saying. And no matter what my friend said, Tim said nothing about the bank robbery. Couldn't get him to say anything about the bank robbery. And so, okay, it's kind of a bust. They walk up and they pay their bill. And as they're walking out the door, Tim stops, leans toward my friend. Unknowingly, Tim is leaning into the microphone and says, nobody but you and I knows I robbed that bank. And if you keep your mouth shut, I'll get through this. I imagine there was some high-fiving in the van across the street uh, when that happened. And Tim went to prison for six or seven years, something like that. And none of us has heard from him since he got out. We know he's out, but uh, he wouldn't contact me, but he hasn't contacted my friend and they grew up together. It's just a horrible, horrible circumstance uh, for my friend, my good friend to have been put in by Tim. Um, Meanwhile, by the way, Nick, somebody says that a 3D universe is a conspiracy by the Illuminati. That's right. Yeah. And another person says the geometry of the universe appears to be flat, but that doesn't mean it isn't 3D. Science is counterintuitive. You know what? If you wear 3D glasses, it's 3D. (laughs) And if you wear rose-colored glasses, it's all good. Okay? I have a hard time doing that during my regular show from 9 until noon. Uh, Bob Reed will be filling in for me. And uh, we'll be getting some feedback uh, from people throughout the course of the morning on the striking down by the court of Bill 124. But uh, just to go here to uh, Charlene Stewart, she is the president of the SEIU Healthcare. And uh, let's get some reaction from her and what she had to say about this. I just want to remind people of how cruel that bill really was. I mean, it attacked people, primarily women, that made, you know, $32,000 a year, and they capped them before the pandemic. And then he wouldn't even repeal it after calling them heroes and seeing everything that they've been through. So I have to say to the workers, this is a big win for you. And the message is to Doug Ford and all governments across this country that workers absolutely have rights in Canada. And one of those rights is the right to bargain, and it is protected. All right. Um, As I said a little earlier, I don't know that that right to bargain means they have a right to a raise or that they would do any better. It's just it's interesting to put that bill in place. You don't need the bill. Just negotiate hard is how I would look at it. I find it a little irksome when people bring up, particularly women, 
You know, we're not that concerned about the guys who are uh, hampered by a 1% raise. It's just, it's a, it's a straw man argument, a straw girl argument, I think, to bring that up. But we'll get more feedback coming up in just a moment. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Certainly one of the stories for today, Cherry Agar in here for John Moore today, is the striking down of Bill 124. The government does say they're going to appeal. We'll see what happens with that. But uh, some reaction out of the healthcare sector. Here once again is Charlene Stewart. She's the president of SEIU Healthcare. We're asking Doug Ford, you know, just take this. As, again, another lose, I have to say Doug Ford's got more losses than the Maple Leafs these days, but he should learn from it. Stop wasting taxpayers' dollars. Stop fighting with these workers. And let's work together to start rebuilding the public system and our health care system instead of fighting workers and capping these low-wage, predominantly women's wages. Once again, she has to say it's, it's, it's about women. Leave that out of it, okay? That's just a ridiculous argument to make. It isn't, the the bill is not there because they're women. That was not the reason for the bill. And when you're arguing about wages for, as the government was with uh, CUPE just recently, the the union would bring up, well, so many of these jobs are held by women. Doug Ford is not fighting wages because the workers are women. You may disagree with what he's doing. You may think people are due greater raises. Apparently, they have a constitutional right to fight for greater wages. But there ought to be some constitutional right to have have some limit on your taxes (laughs) that you pay, I would think. But nobody seems to want to consider that, I guess. Nobody in the unions, people in the government generally. Um, But I don't see this as a complete loss for Doug Ford. I don't know why he even needs the bill. As I said earlier, just you don't need the bill capping the wages. Just fight hard on your side of the negotiating table. Doris Greenspun is the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. Here's what she had to say. We are begging the premier, and I already wrote to him, please do not challenge the court decision. Please do not appeal, Premier, the court's decision. You know the situation in Ontario with the shortages of workers everywhere, and in particular in the healthcare field, and more so even in nursing. All right. Um, There is another place that I think the Premier has uh, an issue. People are going to be on two sides of whether or not some little parcels of the Greenbelt should be taken aside and developed. And you can be with Doug Ford or not with Doug Ford on that one. Uh, Primarily, I'm with him, but not if there was some insider trading going on. And some of it has the smell of insider trading. Siobhan Morris from CTV Toronto did a report on that. After days of mounting questions about whether developers were tipped off about plans to open parts of the Greenbelt to build homes. I've signed an affidavit requesting an investigation. A probe by Ontario's Integrity Commissioner about whether the Premier or Housing Minister violated the MPP's Code of Ethics. I think we need this investigation so we can restore trust from, with the people of this province. The Integrity Commissioner is reviewing that request. I'm going to ask again. The NDP asked a pointed question of the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing three times. 
Did the minister or any other government or PC party official share with any landowner Order. information about the government's Order. plan to remove lands from the Greenbelt before it became public? Yes or no? It's a straight answer the minister did not give. I will meet with anyone, a municipal official, a not-for-profit, Habitat for Humanity. In the interest of getting housing built, while Steve Clark wouldn't get into what he said behind closed doors. I followed all of the rules that our government has put forward for posting. I didn't hide the posting. I was honest, open and transparent. It stinks. And the longer it goes, like a lot of things that stink, each day it stinks more. Pointing to news reports that developers cozy with the government recently bought land on the section of the Greenbelt in question. What looks fishy here uh, is it, it could look like uh, the government is making backroom deals uh, that benefit PC donors. It's something new Democrats have asked the Auditor General to look at. All right, that's Siobhan Morris, excellent reporter, used to be with us uh, specifically at the radio station here, is now with CTV Toronto. Uh, I'm going to repeat, I'm with Doug Ford on what he wants to do with those parcels of land. In the Greenbelt, I understand not everybody is, but they are not watershed pieces of property. And some of them, as Brian Lilly excellently reported on, in the Toronto Sun, are pieces of property that have development all around them already. Like they're, they're hardly pieces of property that are you know, being used for food or protection of the watershed. So it seems to make sense to me, but there isn't any way that I'm going to get behind uh, any insider trading, if it can be demonstrated to have happened, if some developer spent $80 million to suddenly buy up a piece of property that, oh, look, two weeks after he bought it, it uh, is now land that could be developed. That's a problem. On the other hand, nobody wanted to cry tears for developers who had pieces of property back in 2005 that they were intending to develop when Dalton McGinty drew essentially as Deb Hutton said an arbitrary line on a map and took their property off the development list nobody cried tears for the developers then they just said oh well you know you you're a developer you pays your money you takes your chances that's true but when government takes property away from people and expropriates it, then I think government has an obligation to, uh, if they take your house because they're going to build a highway, they're supposed to give you fair market value for your house. I think the same thing should have happened with land that could have been developed because there was no insider trading going on there. In fact, the opposite happened to them. So it's a complicated issue. We'll continue to talk about it through the morning. A couple of other things that just caught my attention this morning. The Maple Leafs are doing a fundraiser today for ALS and honoring Borea Salming, the easiest thing to tell you if you're interested in helping out, uh, basically you buy gear from the Leafs and money goes to ALS research, etc. Just go to the Maple Leafs webpage. I went to the Maple Leafs webpage earlier this morning, just to be sure. And right there on the front page, scroll down a little bit and there it is. There's a link and it tells you what to do and, and how to help out. And then this morning I saw that a court decision says that Kanye West has to pay child support to Kim Kardashian. Well, that makes sense, I guess. Guess how much? $200,000 a month in child support. What kind of school are those kids going to? That's what I wonder. That's a, that's a, that's a heck of a support system going on there, isn't it? That's The Breakfast Wrap for November 30th. I'm Jerry Agar. 
You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.